This is Mrs. Unplanned Trek, and I have never listened to Let's Talk About Treks. Welcome to Let's Talk About Treks, an episodic review of today's visions of the future featuring Earl Grey and Jack Dorino. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Earl Grey's vital and important away mission. I've heard that the crisis may be abating or there might be a relief crew coming in to help out. Uh, But as you can glean from that, the away mission has not yet ended. So this week on Let's Talk About Treks, I am still Jack Dorino. And I'm Andrew Hogan from Unplanned Trek. Yes, thank you, Andrew, for joining us this week for Let's Talk About Treks. I really appreciate both of the hosts now from Unplanned Treks for helping out Let's Talk About Treks during this time. Oh, look, it's it's an absolute privilege to be here. We could even have a, um, a special guest, one of our new regulars on our show, Shinzon himself. Oh, yes, Shinzon himself. He's got a new talk show. Does he? I, I had a brief run-in on Twitter with Shinzon himself. Ah, oh, yeah. Look, he's a bit uh, he's a bit potty mouth on Twitter. I'll admit that, but uh, you know, we keep him in control a bit. He's a little prickly. Yeah. Yeah, just a little bit. But you know, you can understand that. So again, thank you for coming on here and helping us out with this episode, which is Star Trek Lower Decks, season four, episode five. It's called Impathological Fallacies. Mm. This is the one where the hedonistic outlook of a Betazoid delegation infects the crew, which is the description that they give for the episode but correct me if i'm wrong but that's a lie oh absolutely and this is great because there's a trope in star trek i really love which Uh is some random external force makes the entire crew go batshit crazy and hilarity ensues i mean you know naked time naked now you you could name you could name dozens of episodes where that is the premise of the episode you you owe me 10 more give me 10 more oh that's the, (laughs) the other 10 but the thing is, I always wanted Lower Decks to do it because the yes. crew is nuts to, to start with. Correct. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so here we found our way to the naked Lower Decks uh, on episode 35 mm. of the series and episode 902 of Star Trek. Now, I think that our numbers, if I'm reading Memory Alpha correctly, whose numbers we're using, um, I think that they're including the very short treks in this number. Uh, on our show, on Unplanned Trek, mm-hmm. we include the short treks on okay. ours. Sure. But I'd I'd have to check with my main man, Isaac, about whether we're including the very shorts yet. Yeah. It makes me a little uncomfortable to include them because I think the implication there then is that they're canon. Look, I treat everything as canon. My head cannon is very flexible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was, I, I, I firmly argued from the very beginning that the animated series was always canon. Oh, no, I agree. Absolutely. No, that's. Yeah. Even though Gene Roddenberry spent years denying that it was. And I've watched all the animated series, and there's nothing in it that contradicts anything in any significant way. You know, Gene Roddenberry was wrong about a lot of things. There was really only one thing that he was right about. Yeah. <laughs> To be honest, it was just, just Star Trek, like just in, in general, you know, like ship crew, Enterprise, you know, like somebody else made up the ship, somebody else made up really like the ending characters. Um, he was right to do it and do it on the, okay, I want to tell these kinds of stories in this kind of way. But like the TNG got going when he got out of the way, which made Deep Space Nine good, which 
I'll stop there. <laughs> I totally agree. He was a bit of a strange dude. I mean, the three boobs. Yeah. I believe that was all him. Oh, of course it was all him. <laughs> he was probably just trying to one-up George Lucas. Oh, wait, did George Lucas do some similar things in the canteen? Oh, well, no, but he certainly took every opportunity he could to have Carrie Fisher in as little as possible. Oh, yes, this is fair. Just like first season TNG, where Gene had the reins and Ooh. every planet we went to was a sex planet. Like, oh. this one. <laughs> Were they ever? I was always concerned about that sex planet where if you step on a flower, you get killed. Well, I mean, only if you step on a flower at a particular time on a particular day of the week. Yeah, see, that's confusing. Yeah. You know, in Australia here, we wouldn't we wouldn't go for that sort of thing. We'd be like, just plant another flower, you idiot. Exactly. Well, you can't go to the nursery? That's one thing I wondered. It was like, couldn't they just use like some replicators or something? or some holography or something and just like repair it I'm like what nothing happened everything's fine that fence is solid it's gonna work just fine. yeah yeah they sort of there was a little bit of well we want to save wesley but do we really well i mean his mom's his mom's right here i gotta bring him back up yeah good point i'm so happy that you invited me on this week because i love this episode of lower decks it's so, so so good i was really glad that you were coming to join for this episode because this episode made me think of you many times i thought there were many <laughs> points during this episode that you would greatly enjoy mm. the episode by the way was written by jamie loftus and the director was megan lloyd and right. I think that they made a good team for this episode. No, totally agree. And look, apart from the fact that I love yeah, that this particular plot device was just made for Lower Decks, I love the fact that we get a lot more of, uh, of Lieutenant Talin, the Vulcan. Yes, very much so. Because she's a wonderful character. Mm. And Captain Freeman gets to do a bit more as well. Yes, we do get a lot more from Freeman. I have mm. my I have my issues with Talin because I know how Vulcans are. Yeah. And Talin seems to be more like Worf trying to be a Klingon than Sarek being Vulcan. Ah, yeah, true. Spoiler alert, there's a bit of a Sarek connection, though. There is, there is. Mm. So let's roll through the episode, starting with the fact that there's no teaser again. Yes. This is like a new trend. This is a thing. Okay, so there was an episode recently where we didn't have a teaser and there wasn't really anything about this mysterious ship. However, I thought there was. It was in the Cradle of Exelon. The captain makes this mention, oh, I'm a, I majored in archaic technology. <laughs> so I was like, well, maybe that's the touchstone to that story because in that episode, there was no other mention of that storyline, really. In this episode, there is a strong mention of that storyline. And I'm thinking, well, maybe that's why we don't really need a teaser. Maybe the teasers in this season are meant to advance that story unless you're doing it in oh. the main story good point until you mentioned it it didn't occur to me that there wasn't a teaser i reckon you're onto something i reckon there's a pattern we probably won't work it out until later on in the season <laughs> the episodes that don't have teasers and the ones that do i can i can definitely see mike mcmahon being that club well and his team yeah. and being that clever yeah and and creating something that's you know right in front that's my favorite time that star trek works out is when it was right in front of me the whole time and i actually didn't see it i don't think they do anything by accident these guys agreed they yeah. play a long game. They do. So this is the Loxana on the Enterprise thing, right? But of course, yeah. with lower decks, you're going to ramp it up a bunch <laughs> of times. So we end up with having all three Betazoid ambassadors on the on the Cerritos, right? And I watched, I guess it was probably like, obviously, like maybe like the fourth time through when I had seen everything. I'm starting to watch to see like what happens when. So like the Betazoids come aboard. It is it is very like the, the timing is very tight where like the Betazoids come aboard. And then uh, right after that, to Lynn's doing her log for the Cheval or to Captain Sokal or whatever his name is. And I guess it was like the third time through that I was like, everything started 
really after Talene couldn't send her little message. Yes, that's right. And I didn't quite understand the whole why are the communicators not working thing, but it didn't matter because it's a plot device. So the Bajoran ambassadors, they're clearly some sort of intelligence agents. Well, yeah, at the start, I just thought they were three annoying middle-aged women on the piss all the time. I, I may have assumed they were ambassadors because I'm thinking of Ambassador Troy. That's true, but I, I, I didn't. Again, I have, I wouldn't say low expectations. I'm just never worried about the detail if it gets in the way of the actual story. So I'm sure. like, I'm watching it. Admittedly, it was two o'clock this morning, my time. And, um, you yeah. know, I was watching it and I thought, okay, I, I'm, I'm vaguely aware that these three people have to go somewhere. They appear to be uh, going to some sort of hen's night, as far as I could tell. They're heading to Risa. You see, they were already partying hard enough. I don't think they need to go to Risa. I think Risa doesn't need them. So that's one thing that I was curious about. Are they drinking alcohol or synthahol? Oh, oh, yeah, that's the next-gen era. That's yeah. one of those weird things. Right. If we have carpet, we have synthahol. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, maybe there's a connection between those two things. Maybe synthahol is not just easy to shake off, but it's easy to clean off carpet. Correct. Oh. Because if you vomit a regular alcohol on that carpet, you have to replace the whole carpet. It happened on you the do. bridge one time, like around yeah. season three. Exactly. Yeah. Well, look, I did the same thing in my house i've got four cats and one of them just continually Ugh. vomits all the time so we yeah. just refloored the whole place with 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 hardwood because i'm like yeah i was just sick of cleaning it up after carpet so that's absolutely a good, i like that jack that's actually a really good theory however yes. i think they might have been on the real stuff why say you this well they didn't strike me as three ladies who'd really want to be on the pretend gear well i have one piece of evidence that might support what you're saying and i was thinking that if they had been sober they would have been more quickly able to suss out and in fact be cognizant enough to look for the cause of everything that was going on around them and they would have found Talyn far sooner had they not been oh. like blasted drunk and not paying attention yeah i just also i think more they weren't really too bothered to be quite honest <laughs> they seemed pretty happy with what was going down correct i tell you what if that's the Betazoid security forces, I want to join. Absolutely. I'm there. It's like we found a new warrior nun squad of Betazoids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like the uh, Kowat Milat. Oh, the Kowat Milat of getting off your nut. I mean, if they if if they had seen the whole thing from the beginning, though, that would have made the whole episode not need to happen, really. Yeah, true. <laughs> I true. guess, because they would have just fixed Talyn up front, and Talyn wouldn't be able to fix her herself and have come to this whole thing. Maybe they just didn't realize that everybody on the Cerritos was going nuts. Maybe they just assumed oh, this, is what this, this is what this ship's normal. This is what they do all yeah. the time. Because you know what? It wasn't far off what they do all the time. Agreed. Mm. Here's one thing I was thinking about the Bajorans, the, Bajorans, the Betazoids as well. I mean, mm. Towards like sort of the resolution of the episode, they said that they were affected by the whole thing too. Mm. Interesting. Like they referenced the fact that they were also feeling those effects. So it made me think about betazoids and how they are and how they're experiencing like so for diana she would get impressions right but uh. for loxana it seemed like she was always getting an inflow from everyone around her or at least able to like duck 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 goose into people's heads uh. right? so 
It makes me think, so are Betazoids similar to Vulcans suppressing a lot of things a lot of the time? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but at least at marriage ceremonies, and if you follow that idea, I'm sure at other ceremonies and I'm sure at other events, they spend the time naked. And I'm sure that being around each other naked a lot evokes certain thoughts in your head. So what do you do as a Betazoid? Do you hide those thoughts or do you let those thoughts out? And if you do let those thoughts out, do people then teach you how to not be an asshole? Because yeah. like people do, like catcalling is not allowed anymore, like here. So well, not that it was really ever allowed. But <laughs> so like on beta Z, it is is it also not okay to have like impure thoughts when you're around other people? Yes, yeah, see, this is where Star Trek from Next Gen played very fast and loose with the Betazoids mm -hmm. and what they could actually do. And yeah. you know, Deanna being half Betazoid, half human meant they... Yeah, that saved them a lot. It saved, yes, exactly. I was yeah. going to say that. They didn't really have to explore it. But they tried and I don't think quite succeeded with... Remember Brad Dorff's character in Voyager, who was the murderer? Yes. He was fully Betazoid. Yes. And Psychotic, though. Completely psychotic, yeah. And, yeah. But he knew he was. He was very self-aware. Yes. I mean, he's a Betazoid. Yeah, yeah. So he he. he understood I probably shouldn't bump people off but I like it yeah it makes me feel good then they completely drop it again and then they go back to it a little bit I like your theory but again I just go with whatever happens on the show sure absolutely also if you've got a culture that goes pants off uh -huh. at functions on a regular basis yeah I think you've got to allow people to have some very dodgy thoughts because if you don't want them to have dodgy thoughts put some pants on True. It's not hard. Among Betazoids, it is not common when you're going to give a speech to think of everyone in the crowd as being naked so that you yeah. aren't nervous because oh. everyone would be horribly offended if you did that. So how do you deal with anxiety around people? Like, what if you're a Betazoid and you have social anxiety? <laughs> oh, dear. I can see that would have been a plot to explore. That would have actually been interesting. They never quite established the telepathy as well with Betazoid. It was it flip-flopped a little bit. So, you know, Deanna yeah. and her mother could speak to each other via telepathy, yes. but it was mm. unclear about what could she read other people's minds and, yeah. and most and most of what we know about Loxana was when she got that disease. But again, I still think that if you're gonna go to social events and everybody's got the togs down yeah then there's going to be some weird thoughts in the room and i yeah. just reckon you just have to ride with that don't you i think every betazoid function has to have a side room <laughs> for going into the room of, of mirrors and just having a good hard look at yourself well no you catch someone's eyes across the room and you're like you give them a oh, little, little thing right? uh, breakout room <laughs> exactly you need breakout uh, rooms sneaks. always Sneaking off to the bedroom during a party. Uh, oh, brown chicken, yeah. brown girl. Absolutely. Okay. Now, I, I think I might want to go to these parties now. I've, I've changed my mind. Lots of breakout rooms. What if you go in your breakout room and you come out and, <laughs> and the main room has become a breakout room? <laughs> or a makeout room, as the case may be. Um, you, go to, you go to the bathroom and you come back and you're like, what? There are definitely no Australians on beta z because i tell you we'd be we'd be just off our socks the whole time <laughs> i'm sorry off our socks you, you'll have your socks off oh we'll have the rest of it off too now <laughs> off our heads because because we're up for crazy stuff all the time yeah it's just the way it works you made me think of something and i just want to mention it because it is so great not to yeah. distract from the actual episode of star trek lower decks about which we're speaking but i think the best time that they did 
Deanna Troy and her telepathy ever was in Picard season three when she figured out where Riker was because she could feel him. Like they should have done that kind of thing always. Yeah, that's a good point. They did a really good job with that. Mm. But again, it was very inconsistent. Yeah. Sometimes she'd be on the bridge and they'd be talking to another ship and she'd like, oh, Captain, he's lying to you. Yes. I can, you know, I can I can feel it. So, so it, right. it works across space. It does. But she couldn't work out where an away team was if they got kidnapped. I actually just realized also that in Picard Season 3, the one I was just praising, they, they turned her telepathy into radar. Yeah, totally. And that would have been really useful in some next-gen episodes. It would have. Would have sorted that shit out really quickly before the credits. Oh, Captain, I know where they are. They're in that building like, over there. <laughs> Done. Sorted. Let's they go were, back. That's why in the writer's room they were like, uh, Mariner, can you take the day off today? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's okay. Hey, there is one other, and, and I know this jumps forward a little bit, but... um. Mm-hmm. One of my favourite characters is Shax. Fred Tattershaw is so good. Yes, absolutely. I love him in everything he's ever voiced. Mm-hmm. And they mixed Shax with slam poetry. Yeah. Just fantastic. Yeah. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, I that, know. That whole, that whole time was great. I think that it was good of them to give Boimler a time off. There was one thing I was wondering about, about where are they exactly? Mm-hmm. Because Boimler said... Oh, I always wondered what it was like over here, which yeah. to me indicated that they were somewhere removed. Like maybe there are they in that little pod that sits oh between the nacelles? Because Shaq said that it was time for some isolation, right? Mm, that's a good point. I just thought I mean, look, the whole B plot of the fact that the security team just don't do drills and phaser rifles all the time, and they get to know each other and st- speak poetry and all this was fantastic. It's very next generation. It was just, but it was also so absurd of all the characters for it to be Shax. I think that Shax is very good at instilling a team spirit and creating team unity. Oh, yeah, that's of course, yeah. And I think that... Yeah, he's your football coach. Yeah, I think that they are doing those games, you know, like when you go to... (laughs) When you have like a team meeting and you're doing like the icebreakers where it's like two truths and a lie. (laughs) Yeah, those corporate team building exercises that are just simply the worst... Yeah. yeah, but so this is the twenty fourth, twenty fifth century now. So mm. it's we've improved a little bit, yeah. Um, and of course, look, I've been rewatching the boys, the TV series. Yeah, good show. Just loving Jack Quaid. Just started watching Gen V, the spin off. <gasps> I forgot that was. Oh, he is in the boys. Yeah, that's right. He's yeah, he's he's wee Huey. Um, yeah. But um, so I've been on a real Jack Quaid thing. He's he's voicing Superman in the new animated series. Oh, yes. I did start watching that. Yeah. He's yeah. on an absolute role. And yes. he does the whole everything surprises Boimler so well. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to go down here and we're going to get phaser rifles and we're going to shoot holographic bad guys and not we're going to say we're going to say poetry and get to know each other i like this for boimler i like boimler having to be told and explained how to unwind this is how you build an amazing officer is they work really 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 hard and study really really hard like too much too much too much but then like as they grow in their career they really need to like be more part of the crew and see what's Mm. going on and like you know not be so uptight learn to be you know gracious with their position so i think that this is Mm. a part of the growth of boimler and it makes me wonder if we're gonna Mm. (laughs) if we're gonna see 
Hold on, I can't even say it. Oh, come on, come on. The Captain Boimler series? Oh, wouldn't that be magnificent? See, Would I you reckon... prefer a Captain Boimler series or a Captain Mariner series? Well, a Captain Mariner series would be unhinged as far as that ship getting anything done. Yeah. No, I think a Captain Boimler, because imagine Boimler in charge of everything to do with the ship. First contact, how fast you're going to go, where you're going next, or all of these things that would just mess with his head so much. Yeah. Because he yeah. overthinks everything. Um, I think that if he doesn't change, he's going to end up being a Jellico. Oh, see, I all I can think of is the meme Jellico who tells all the jokes on Twitter. He's great. <laughs> I love him. But yeah. Jellico was odd. He was again another one of these odd things that we never revisit. Is that Jellico was the first one that told Deanna to put a uniform on. Yes. Which was like, seemed pretty obvious to me. It really did. I don't know what Picard was doing. Picard had a little bit of gene in him. Yeah. And then he called everybody by their first names. No lieutenant or, you know, it was always Will huh. and Deanna and, and Geordie. Yeah. He was an interesting cat. I, I quite liked him. Yeah, he was, he was interesting. And why did everybody think he was such an ass for, you know, oh, we're going to have four duty shifts instead of three? It's like, who cares? That's not something you don't draw the line in the sand at the number of duty shifts, really. Well, I mean, I think if you feel like you can barely get your work done with a, a three-part rotation, switching to a four-part rotation is going to make your job more difficult. Ah, no, so you're looking at it the wrong way. It makes it easier to have an excuse for not getting your job done. Exactly, but when you're on a ship out in the middle of you, you have to have your work done. It's basically getting your home from place to place, and then you know occasionally helping someone out with something. But for the most part, you're just traveling from place to place doing home maintenance on your boat. This is why you don't see any Australian starships in Starfleet because we just don't give three shits about that sort of stuff. It'd be like, okay, it's knockoff time. The bell's gone. This thing's not working. It's not my problem anymore. Oh, it's, yeah. It's the, next, but... it's the next guy's problem, you know? Okay. <laughs> I mean, if Jellico had said, right, I'm removing all of the Coca-Cola vending machines from Deck 7, uh -huh. I'd be like, no, yeah. don't do that. That's I'm <laughs> thirsty. But no, he just duty shifts and they all lost their crap about it. Nah. Australian Starship would be pretty funny though, Jack. We'd be a little, yeah, going around. First contact. Did we see Jellicoe meet Guinan? Oh, I don't think we did. Huh. That would have been an interesting meeting. Well, it's a good thing they didn't meet because Guinan probably would have changed Jellicoe or Jellicoe would have put her in a uniform, put her in like oh. those green, those green bar suits with the checkerboard on the arms and legs. Oh yeah, that, that, that's right. The bar staff were terrible. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think Jellicoe would be pretty impressed that there's a bar on the ship. Oh, I don't know. Do you think he's a drinker? Oh yeah, he is, but he's a- Like, do you think he has a flask in his, in his leg? Like, do you think he's Colonel Tykes? <laughs> it's like the same guy. Like he has a flask in his sock or something. I love Hogs, Michael Hogan, one of my favourite mm -hmm. actors. We we had him on our show once. He was so so had funny. You? Yeah, he was just a brilliant guy to talk to. But um, funny story, uh -huh. I got the same surname as him. You do indeed. And in Australia, if you're Hogan, your nickname is Hogs, as per you okay. know, Paul Paul Hogan, the comedian, Crocodile Dundee. Yep. Michael Hogan had not heard that huh. in his entire life. No one had ever called him Hogs. What? Yeah, so and he thought it was the greatest thing ever. So for two days during the convention, if we walked past his table and he was signing autographs or getting photos taken, I'd yell out, hey, Hogs, how you going? Hogs. 
and he gave me a thumbs up back. Yeah, Hogs, I'm fantastic. That is phenomenal. <laughs> That's something I gave to him, and I'm really glad about that. So, Jellico. No, look, I reckon Jellico squirrels away bottles of stuff at his desk drawer. Uh-huh. Probably replaces Picard's fish tank with a bar fridge. Yeah. Picard went to go feed Livingston, reached down in the little cabinet for his food, and it was just like little bottles of alcohol, <laughs> little empty bottles pouring out. Yeah, just those little ones you get in like the, the mini bars at a hotel. Yeah, exactly. Just, just scattered yeah. everywhere. Yeah, he had gone and stuck it while he was, you know, asleep. Yeah, and then he closes the bar because he's mean to everyone else. <laughs> exactly. I don't think that we've seen Manhaver in a in a while. No, I always kind of look out for him. I think he's, I think he would be a really interesting character, and I think that when they have featured him, it's always been like, oh, neat. But we haven't seen him for a minute, so I'm glad to see him back in this episode. Mm. I feel like we have to see some more of those non-main crew people since they're like circulating now more among a. Uh, you know, the higher ranked individuals. Well, yes, we're not completely lower decks anymore. Correct. Mm. Now, what did you think about the fact that we've now got to deal with Talin having Bendy syndrome? Because that's a downward spiral. I was very confused about that because I thought the understanding was when they were in sick pay uh, around the time that she said that she was 62 years old, mm. that she said it, Bendy syndrome usually occurs in elder Vulcans. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Was seeming to say, well, I don't have Bendai syndrome, it's something else. And I thought that whatever it was, they would have fixed there in sick bay before they left. It seems to me that maybe Talin has some sort of brain aberration mm. that mimics the effects of Bendai syndrome. Maybe aerobotic syndrome. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> She's got a little little borgomotic syndrome yeah. going on in her head. Because I think that the implication was she wasn't old enough to have Bendai syndrome. Mm. Bendai syndrome is terminal. But then also they sort of implied that she does have Bendai syndrome because there was the whole conversation about how it's worsened by emotional turmoil. Yeah, yeah. Right? So that's why this whole thing happened. But if that's the case, then does that mean if Spock had come home, Sarek wouldn't have died? Yeah, well, I was I started to think about a whole lot of implications like that, except, of course, then you realise we're basing this entire thing on <laughs> the only other person in the entire yeah. Star Trek canon who's ever <laughs> had this disease. So this I mean, is true. I, I suspect the writers can probably do whatever they want with it. Yeah. And knowing Lower Decks, I'm thinking... There's going to be a twist, huh. but I don't think the twist is going to be as simple as it's not Bendai, it's something else. I think the twist might be a bit cleverer than that, huh. but I'm not clever enough to know what it is. Standing by, I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to whether we'll even like touch this again. Ah. We might have just put this to bed with this story and we're never going to talk about it again because it just seems like the intention in this episode was to draw that to a conclusion. You know what oh, I mean? yeah. Okay. I guess they could have just done that. Um, and look, and if they don't mention it again, I don't care. But yeah. Yeah. I do like to think that maybe, just maybe, the implication is that Talin is a daughter of Sarek. She likely is a daughter of Sarek. Everybody is. I've heard that Mariner might be a daughter of Sarek. Almost certainly. I think every single character in the next gen era is probably related to Sarek somehow. Ransom is got- definitely a cousin of Sarek. Oh, the guy pops out random secret kids like crazy. Yes. You know, we watched, we watched Star Trek V the other day. Well, it's yeah, our Patreons mm-hmm. we, that they get a review of it one minute secret at a time. Kid. Yeah, yeah and, 
and I don't know why, but some of them do. And um, it's like when Spock tells Kirk, Cybox, you know, he's my brother. And Kirk's like, you don't have a brother. He goes, no, he's actually my half-brother. At that point, I would have loved Spock to have said, hey, you should hear about my secret human sister. Correct. Yeah. That would have been the time to mention it, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, like you think you think a half-Vulcan brother's crazy? Check out the rest of my family. <laughs> but it makes me think they didn't have to choose Bendai Syndrome, but they did. Yeah, they didn't. They chose Bendai Syndrome. Did Bendai Syndrome... When, when again, we are judging this based off one other incidence of this happening, but the Bendai syndrome that Sarek had didn't affect anybody else until he mind melted with them, correct? I think so, yeah. I don't recall everybody else going, getting all sad and stuff. So Tillin has like a broadcast mind uh. of some sort? It's just that for that reason, they could have chose, they could have made up another disease, but they chose not to do it. Mm, so I'm just a little bit suspicious. Like I said, yeah. I, 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 I think the, the lower decks writers they know a lot about that they deep dive into other episodes of other star treks but they don't appear to do much by accident this is true mm. they do craft things extremely well mm. so we've been yammering away for for quite a while i think we're just around the end of act one so why don't we do this why don't you tell people where they can find you and the projects that you're involved with and that kind of thing Absolutely, yes. So, um, oh, great. along with my mate Isaac, I'm the host of Unplanned Trek, which is currently a podcast where we pick a random episode of any of the 900 episodes of any Star Trek, but we don't review it because everybody reviews it. We give out awards for best characters, worst characters, any fights, any romance. Um, we we talk about how every how that episode would have been improved by a source of separation. Um, which, hmm. of course, the answer is, of course it would. Uh, we have a new segment on our show featuring Shinzon of, of Remus, who has his own little talk show where he interviews people. Um, our show, at the moment, as you can find on any podcast platform, is soon about to become part of the Shuttlepod show, Stable. That's the show hosted by Erica LaRose, Mark Cardia, uh, Dominic Keating and Connor Trenier. And we are moving to streaming video. So... Right you'll actually be able to see our ugly heads, which is going to be magnificent. That's coming up in the next month or so. But look, all of our old episodes are available. And as I briefly touched on before, our Patreons get a review every week of one minute of Star Trek V. So we've been going for over half a year and we're only half an hour into the movie. And I tell you what, it's a very strange way of watching that film. It feels like it's been going for about 50 years. I've been enjoying it. Oh, good. I'm glad. It's um, yeah. it's a truly unique experience. Oh, when, when Isaac proposed it to me, I was like, I don't know whether I can sustain that, but now I actually <laughs> look forward to it. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. No problem, man. It was a brilliant rundown. Oh, I've done it a few times. Go back to this episode where we are discussing Star Trek Lower Deck Season 4, Episode 5. It's called Empathological Fallacies. We're we're in the bar, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And everybody's just flipping out. Yeah, and exactly. Mariner says, everybody just needs to calm down, including me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, because this is like the second time that I've noticed, because actually earlier in this episode, Mariner said, hey, what's going on? Like, why is everybody freaking out all of a sudden? Which was shortly after Talen came in. There was another episode previously this season in Lower Decks where like yeah. someone called it at the front again, Tendi, when she was like, oh, they're hazing us. 
And Mariner was like, no, 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 no. So I feel like there's now there's a new theme about like one of the characters sussing out what's going on at the front if they would just like continue to focus on that train of thought because they're pointing it out and then they're just kind of like they let it go because they're involved with the episode they don't make the connection right at the beginning but they could and if you go back and watch it you realize that oh they definitely could have yeah but they got Mm. distracted by some other stuff like i was saying at the start though mate it's like it's really hard to tell when everybody goes crazy on the cerritos because it's a pretty freaky place anyway i mean it's 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 baseline level of behavior for most of that crew is pretty out there yeah i can't imagine Miglimo normally standing in front of a replicator freaking out he also seemed pretty ashamed at himself when he came to (laughs) realizing what had happened you know with the um apart from the slam poetry and uh, because i love the fact that lower decks drops these little easter eggs that have nothing to do with anything but are just such a joy if you're a Star Trek fan. And in this episode, it's got to be the fact that Cations used to hunt Betazoid for sport. Yes, sir. Hello. That that was incredible to learn. <laughs> and I don't know whether Tiana was kidding when she said that now they eat synthetic Betazoid. Yeah, that's what we're Because like, I can see the packaging <laughs> like, oh. in the store of the synthetic Betazoid. And I would like that to be true. <laughs> Well, the, but see, the problem with that is anybody who owns a cat, I've got four, knows that cats are the fussiest bastards ever as far as food goes. If I dare to go to the supermarket and buy some, you know, whiskers or whatever, at least two of my cats will literally walk out of the room mm-hmm. and turn their backs on me for three days. I've got to go to the vet and buy that crazy expensive stuff. Oh. Costs more than human food. Oh, new cats. Oh, they're the, yeah, and so, you know. It's time for a new cat. Cat's broken. Well, I've got two, I've got two outdoor cats because I live on a little okay. farm. Now, the outdoor right. cat's job is meant to go outside and catch rats and mice and bunnies and things like Phenomenal. that. Phenomenal. Do you think they do that? No. Oh. No, they're idiots. There was a rat, at least one rat in my shed because uh-huh. I kept finding holes being gnawed in my plastic containers. You know, they gnawed yes. a hole in the chainsaw petrol and it all drained out on the floor. And that's why oh. you know, I, was a bit, I was a bit dark on that. They were trying to kill you. Pretty much. And so I locked one of the cats in the shed thinking, well... It's a nice, big, juicy rat. So all he did for three days was sleep on the couch in there. I came back. Oh. The rat was still in there. The cat was still on the couch. <laughs> Nothing happened. They were hanging out Tom and Jerry style. Then I came, I brought him back inside, this cat, and he went straight to the laundry and started eating other cats' food. And I'm like, oh, my God, you yeah. idiot. So I just think that you couldn't, you know, it'd have to be a pretty damn good artificial betazoid for a cat to put up with it. So it makes me wonder... If they did like hunting them, what stopped them? Was it just became socially unacceptable? Yeah, I am curious about that. What actually made them stop? Mm. Probably Starfleet came along and they were like, you're doing what? <laughs> yeah, you're eating other do- Don't do that. Well, that's, no, that's, that's no good, Chopper. That's not okay. Yeah, they they made friends with both of them and then they found this out later. Mm. They, had to, they had to negotiate the peace between them. But we've already let them into the Federation. So we can't kick them out, right? Just because they just because they eat other people, we, like, we have to adjust a little bit. I've always wondered about like that. Are there pe- are there people in the Federation who have like fundamental things about their society that put them at odds with other members of the Federation? 
I mean, I hadn't thought of, like, we tend to eat the other members of the Federation. Well, you've got Kabanar at the start of Discovery. Yes. You know, where they're they're an intelligent prey species. Yes. Which is kind of weird. Yeah. And, like, why did the Federation not go in there and say to the Baal guys, "Ah, just don't don't hunt them, that's not Mm -hmm. on? We've moved we've moved past that. Even if they're not part of the Federation, they could have sent a delegate to go, uh, could you just not do that anymore? It's uncool. Yeah, like, so we've learned through means that we won't necessarily discuss that um, you gather up uh, this species and mm. to kill them at a certain age. And we yeah. kind of think that maybe that's not necessary. Like, you know, I don't know if you noticed this, but like they build stuff and they like <laughs> have language and they seem pretty intelligent. Like maybe you want to like, you know, could you maybe not do this Logan Run shit that you're doing and decide yeah, right. that they all, they're all going to die at the same age? Yeah, but but no, no. Yeah. And Saru seemed pretty cool with it until he was not cool with it, which is fine. You know, that's probably it. They probably just read Logan's Run and they were like, "Oh, that is a great idea. That's a tops idea. Oh yeah." They're just really big into Logan's Run. They didn't mean anything by it. Mm, they probably even even watched the whole TV series spinoff. It's they're not they're not cosplaying. What's the other thing? They're uh, they're larping. Oh, they are. They're, they're LARPing like, Logan's LARPing Run. Logan's Run. <laughs> so, but if you think about it, half the episodes of Next Gen were basically the Enterprise turning up to a planet who want to join the Federation, but they're fighting each yeah. other and we have to sort that shit out. Yeah. They're either fighting each other or there's terrorists who are remarkably effective at what they do. Correct. And it's like, we have to sort of fix that stuff before they can join. Yeah. Or, or one civilization has the other civilization on drugs. That's a thing as well. Oh, yes. That's a good one. That's a really, yep. They don't use that one enough, really. Yeah. I could use that heaps more. But uh, yeah, yeah. So I think um, you're right. Given, you know, people are people, there's going to be a bit of aggro in the Federation at times. Yeah. And I don't know, do they have a football league where they can work this stuff out? There's a Parisi's Squares League for sure. There's There might be baseball. Uh, okay. Yeah, good. We've got evidence of that. There's Anbo Jitsu. Anbo Jitsu, yeah. One of my favorite Jitsus of all the Jitsus. It's, it's the best Jitsu. And the best, and Bo. Bo, that's right. We don't know much about where the cricket survives. That's why there's no Aussies around. And we've just had our grand final this weekend for the Australian Football League, the uh, Festival of the Boot, as we call it. And um, I do like to think that AFL, Australian Rules Football, survives to the 24th century because it's incomprehensible to most other people in the world. So I'd love to see what it's like to aliens. They'll take it right up. Mm. It's us humans that have this problem. It's the rest of us. It's not you. I used to be on a board of of a professional association and we would plan conferences and anytime we'd bring an American speaker out to Australia, mm-hmm. the night before the conference, we'd take him to watch a game of AFL and it was just universally so enjoyable because after five minutes, they were like, I have no idea what's going on here, but it looks amazing. <laughs> In fact, one of them said to me once, does this game have rules? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got a lot of rules. I used to umpire Australian rules football. Mm-hmm. It's got way too many. It's got too many rules but none of them make any sense. And you can get absolutely poleaxed by someone four times your size, and that's perfectly cool. That's what you would expect Shax to be into. Oh, he, he, he would be so into it. As opposed to, like, the beat poetry and the puzzle of Malcolm Reed. Yes, the Malcolm Reed puzzle. And then there was also the tarot cards. Is tarot supposed to be a game? Is it supposed to be fun? I don't I, understand. I, did, I thought it was fortune-telling. Yeah, right. Hmm. I don't, 
I don't understand why that was in there. Oh, because he's a Bajoran. Oh. Oh, so of course that kind of thing would be fun among Bajorans. Yeah. What psychics do is they use the cards as a as, as a springboard to work out people's yes. futures and things like that. Yeah. Here's me. I've got no idea. I'm just I'm just sounding like a wanker here. But um, <laughs> you mentioned the Malcolm Reed. Yes. Well, I can't wait to talk to Dominic Keating about that. About this puzzle. He just he just loves throwbacks to their show. Absolutely loves it. But have you seen holograms all the way down yet? No. No, I haven't. Oh, you, I won't spoil it, but you should watch it. Yeah. The last episode that we talked about on Unplanned Trek mm-hmm. was the one where opening scene, everybody on the Enterprise is unconscious apart from Trip because he's in the decomp chamber. Sure, yes. And these Ferengi smuggled a stun bomb onto the ship and everybody's asleep and mm-hmm. when you watch the episode the Ferengis wake up the captain so Archer's away so Scott Bakula has to act Connor Trenier has to act and Jolin Blaylock wakes up so T'Pol wakes up three main characters of the show yeah Malcolm Reed along with all the others spends the literally the entire episode lying down on the floor oh good for them and Dominic would you believe it's one of the highlights of his acting career because <laughs> as I said to him you know he, he rocked up He got his pages of the script. He went, oh, cool. I get paid for this. I bet. That sounds phenomenal. That is a a good day's work. Whereas Connor spends the whole time in his gruds. Got his bloody blue boxer shorts on the whole time. And I'm like, I don't care if everybody else is asleep. Put a pair of pants on, buddy. We're not on Betazoid. There's a trick that the Betazoids do on the bridge. Ooh, yes. And that is that they imply to two officers that they're into each other, and that distracts them long enough so that they can be overpowered. See, I thought you were going to say when they took all their clothes off and had much skimpier costumes. Well, there was that. It was a time that Freeman sort of did the same thing, Uh where she distracted someone by making them react to a social situation that has nothing to do with her where like she tricked one of the betazoids into reading her mind where she had the memory of one of them talking smack behind the other one's back Mm. so it's sort of like she took that same sort of trick like here let me just get you guys all tangled up with each other and she turned that around back on them like right away i thought that was really clever of her yes sow the seeds of doubt with your enemies I mean, all things being said, she's a very good captain because she's a very clever people person. Yes, absolutely. She clocks people early and she works out, you know, eventually how I'm going to make this situation work to my advantage. And that's what makes a good captain. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. This episode was sort of all about Talyn just missing home. Yeah. And being so, like, more closely tied to home than where she was, Mm. or where she is, rather. So the theme that I thought that I saw developing in this season was about responsibility. Mm. And I wonder if this is something about her being responsible uh, either to to the ship and crew where she is, or being responsible to being herself as opposed to letting other people define who she's supposed to be. Because Vulcans, for their non-monolithicness, seem to demand monolithicness from themselves. Oh, oh yes. Well, what I got from it was that them they, that she's got the decision she has to make. Mm-hmm. Is she going to 100% commit to Starfleet, or is she yes. going to eventually go back to the Vulcan High Command, which really kind of echoes to Pol in Enterprise. I mean, very, very similar. Oh, yeah. Because you know, in Enterprise, 
for the first two seasons she was not she was not a member of Starfleet. She was an observer. Correct. And it, I think that Tillin's going to go through a little bit of that about you know do I go back or do I actually do I actually find these humans a bit interesting, um, a bit dare I say fascinating. Yes, I think that that is a good mirror to tie to Paul together with Tillin. Where was it that Paul would rather be? Would she, would she rather have been back with the Vulcan High Command? Wasn't there a whole thing about like her sort of being outcast and some sort of disease of mind melding where she was like pariah from them because of it? Well, it eventually, I basically in Enterprise, she came around to to realizing that the humans are, are really good and she wanted to be part of that crew and she respected them yeah but there was no question for the certainly the first season she didn't want to be there she was put there by the high command mm. because you can't go running around space in a ship that can fly at warp without one of us you know checking you out making sure you don't break something if i were starfleet i would have a problem with the vulcan high command and that problem would be hey listen why are you always sending us the broken ones? Yeah. Like, why don't you send us one of your Vulcans that works right? Yeah, exactly. That, that's exactly right. They're sending people. They're not sending their best. No, they're sending very, very flawed individuals <laughs> um, who eventually, you know, eventually we realize are pretty awesome. But you're right. Um, look, there's many problems with the Vulcan High Command. I mean, we could make a laundry list of them. To be fair, yes. How come you don't just tell us how to make our ships go faster? Yeah. Because like, you know, you know how. You just tell us. Yeah. No, we can't tell you because of blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, yeah, come on, mate. Lots of secrets. Yeah. It's sort of a Romulan trait. That's interesting. Because uh -huh. they, they, do, they do deal in secrets a lot. If I remember my Enterprise, which I probably don't, there was a whole, like, secret thing, Pajim and, and Dorians and all that kind of thing. Oh, well, they were secretly spying on the Endorians right. because we never quite understood why those two didn't get along. They just, we don't like blue people with antennas and they don't like people with pointy ears. Just yeah. go with it. I'm, I'm surprised that we like the, well, so in Enterprise, I think that maybe we didn't quite like the Vulcans as much. Oh, no, they, they spent a lot of time setting them up as assets. Yeah, yeah, which sort of carries through with my understanding of, I, I do think that Vulcans are with it. Like, they're with the program. They're just being the way that they be. <laughs> yeah. They're just being Vulcan. And they don't care how it lands on you. No, well, the whole, you know, you can't offend them, so why should they care? Correct. So they can just walk around being assholes and it's going to be okay. Mm. Well, they think it's okay. Um, I mean, Archer has a big crack at them in one episode about you've always held us back. You've always, mm -hmm. you know, you've always done this, that, and the other. Yeah. Um, but I think in the first couple of seasons... Certainly in the first season, they overplayed that in Enterprise. You know, the uh, the moment that the Romulan, I mean, the, the Vulcan ambassadors on in any scene, you just yeah. go, oh, I hate that guy. I hate yeah. that guy. Yeah. God, he's, God, he's annoying. And they didn't really need to overplay it that much. I'm wondering, though, to Lynn, yes. the ultimate decision that she makes, I think, will be to stay on the Cerritos not because of a fascination with humans or with Starfleet, okay. but simply that she gets on really well with Mariner and the other guys. I was wondering about that as well. I saw yeah. the pairing this episode of Mariner and Talyn, uh. and we saw the pairing last episode of Rutherford and Boimler. Yeah. 
And previously we had pairings of Rutherford and Tindy, Mariner and Boimler. So Talin really like shakes up this formula. Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, from a story writing point of view, she's a terrific character to drop in. But I just think from a character development point of view, Mm -hmm. I think she's going to do that thing like Spock did. She's going to find a friend. She's going to find someone who she genuinely connects with. And I just think if it's going to be anyone, it'll be Mariner. And that will cause her to want to stay. I think that is true. I think that Mariner is going to be a good mentor for Talenton. It's almost like it's, it's Spock Chapel to Lynn Mariner, not with like the romantic love part, but with the like, hey, be cool, man, <laughs> part. Mm. Yeah. But also like, um, okay, season two, Discovery, the finale, when Discovery's going into the future. Mm-hmm. And um, where was I going with that? I don't know. Is this the reach for the person? Yes. Reach correct. for someone the, the most different from you or something? Yeah. So at the... Season two finale of Discovery, where Michael Burnham's talking to Spock. Okay. And she tells him, you know, I might not see you again, little brother. Yes. And she needs him, she needs to know that he'll stay grounded, that mm-hmm. he won't go completely too Vulcan. And she says, reach out for that one person, reach, mm-hmm. find that one. And she's clearly talking about Kirk, but just not knowing it. Yes. And I think that Talin is probably a little bit like that. She's going to feel like there probably there is a human uh. out there who can keep her grounded and give her a different perspective on the universe, just a different perspective. So I reckon that's probably where it's going, at least I hope. If I had to ascribe the archetypes from those old scientists era to the lower decks, that Mariner would be a Kirk. Yeah. So yes, that makes a lot of sense. Hmm, that's good. You know, every week uh, on Let's Talk About Checks, Andrew, we have a cocktail that's crafted for us by the Scorch1701 uh, on Twitter. And Ooh. for that cocktail, uh, Gallifrey, uh, a close friend of mine, uh, comes to taste this cocktail with us and sort of we do a rating and stuff. Nice. And this week we're going to be trying uh, Captain Carol Freeman's Warp Me Mimosa. Ah, now I think I saw that floating around Twitter. Yes, absolutely. The Scorch 1701 places it on Twitter. Yes. We feature it on the show. And uh, we're going to go and do that now. And then just after that, we'll, we'll, do, we'll have a little, little spot and then we'll come right back. Sweet. Welcome back, Gallifrey. It's good to see you again. Hello. It's been forever. Has it? No, it's been a week. Uh, what we have here in front of us, ladies and gentlemen, is all the ingredients to... Uh, the Scorch 1701's new cocktail, which is Captain Carol Freeman's Warp Me Mimosa. Gallifrey, if you would, could you tell us what's in this cocktail while I prepare the cocktail? Yeah, um, it's one ounce tequila, chill, a half ounce lemon liqueur, three ounces of Prosecco, three ounces orange pineapple mango apple juice blend, a splash of grenadine, and a pinch of salt. Could you now also let the people know how to craft this cocktail? Sure, you pour tequila and lemon liqueur into a champagne flute, pour in Prosecco, fill in the glass halfway, add juice blend up to 1.5 centimeters from rim, lay a grenadine by pouring over a spoon into glass, topped with a small pinch of salt. So when was the last time you had a mimosa? Maybe like a couple weeks ago. Oh, really? Yeah. So there's one, if you'd like. If you will. 
This is the first, uh, this is the first cocktail of the season where we haven't had sort of like outlandish ingredients to find. Mm. The most exotic thing here is what, the Prosecco? Or, yeah. the, or the lemon liqueur maybe? Do you want to go ahead and try it for me? Oh, sure. Thanks. So what do you think? Yeah, that's pretty good. Any other descriptors you'd like to use that maybe our audio audience will be able to get a sense of what you're um, experiencing? It's very mimosy, <laughs> if that's a word. It's different from all the other ones. It's the normal cocktail. So something that struck me as odd is that usually, what do you have in a mimosa? Uh, champagne and orange juice. Or champagne. Uh, but not just champagne and orange juice, but you could do champagne and cranberry juice or champagne and well, some type of juice. Oh, I've well, only... had champagne and apple juice before for mimosa. Do you use apple juice? For yeah, I mean, mimosa? to me, champagne sort of sound, sort of tastes like apple juice. Really? To me. So there would be, there should be very complimentary flavors. I have to Def try that. Definitely fruit juice with champagne, right? Yeah. I don't think yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what I was trying to say because orange juice, uh, lemon. Can you can you use lemon juice uh, like lemonade with with mimosa? I don't see why not. If you can use orange juice, you could use lemonade. Oh. What I have never seen is tequila. Used for um, mimosa. Yeah. How do you, I mean, I how can, do you feel about that? Is it working? Can, is it not working? Yeah, 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 yeah. I can, I can, I can see it happening. Like champagne, a shot of shot of liquor, and. You it's know. in your hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> How does it strike you in comparison to other mimosas that you've tried? I really don't see a difference. <laughs> okay. The the tequila to me I think is what puts the warp me part into the mimosa. Okay. Because it's uh because you know it's a it's a liquor as opposed to so the champagne that it usually is. Yeah, yeah. Prosecco is it's really good though. Is it? Yeah. It's sort of a champagne, right? It is champagne. Okay. I don't, I, don't, is. I don't know that I've ever really gone in for Prosecco. I, I don't really know the difference between Prosecco and Champagne, but I imagine they're two different words for a reason. What sort of setting do you think that this cocktail would apply itself to? Brunch. Okay, okay. <laughs> that makes sense. Probably like a brunch at your house with your friends. You know, you you got some waffles, just chicken wings. Mm, and, okay. You know, some fresh fruit okay. and stuff like that. Uh, how do you feel about chicken and waffles with the warp me mimosa? Oh yeah, perfect. Yeah, perfect. My type of party. <laughs> Count me yeah. If you were in medical distress, right, and you were at say I don't know Grace Sloan Memorial Hospital, <laughs> okay. um, and they said we we think we need to do a CT scan on you, but we're not really sure. But we'll do it if you rate this cocktail on a scale of one to ten. What would you tell them? I'll give it a ten. You would give it a ten? Yeah, because it's my most ten. Is that the first ten of the season? I don't think it's the first ten of the season actually, but I, I tens are rare. It's the first normal one of the season. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you think that does it speak to the? Who, the Captain Carl Freeman? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, because you know black you know black girls love their mimosas. <laughs> so, so, so so yeah, and, and, but I but I seen it was a mimosa. Then I seen who 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 it was. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, now now nobody's a mimosa. Speaking <laughs> of Captain Freeman, how did you enjoy Don Lewis? I love me some Don Lewis. Time at the uh, I love me some Don Lewis. I, I wanted to be in the crowd like I love you, Don. I love you, but I was like, I ain't gonna be all ghetto and so. <laughs> <laughs> she looked back there like, oh my god, who's that? I, I'll, I'll bet you it's not the first time that she would have heard that. She's um, so pretty in person. She is. She is indeed. So is uh, Tawny Newsom. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy the two of them on this program. Uh, well, you can taste the salt at the bottom. So the funny thing is, uh, last time I remarked that it was the first time, or no, was it last time? It was the... Bench press paradise, I think, with the coconut and the banana. Oh, the coconut banana was good. <laughs> so that was the first time that you finished the cocktail before we finished recording. This time we've done what? Uh, well, we're on the second glass. We so. are indeed on the second <laughs> one. This this seems to indicate to me that this uh, this cocktail is pretty great. It's very um, it's it's a lot. It's complicated for sure. Is it? I mean, there are a lot of steps to it, and there's there's several ingredients, but oh, uh, versus uh, a regular mimosa, where you just champagne juice. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, yeah. it's it's complex. That's the that's the warp. That's the warp in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they should have called it the mimosa remix, because all you're doing is remixing, remixing a regular mimosa. Oh, so you're saying. That it might be more appropriately termed the intermix chamber mimosa. Uh, if, yeah. Because yeah, yes. warp is the actual activity of moving through space, while the intermix chamber is where the reaction happens that causes the warp speed. Okay. Which is, which all boils down to uh, a remix. <laughs> so, so, yeah. A remix, sort of like the idea of a. Spore Hub activated drive, like Michael Burnham's ship, is a remix of Warp Drive. Okay, okay. <laughs> so I say that to suggest that perhaps the Warp Mia Mimosa is yet another indicator of the black girl magic that's been sprinkling mm. itself across Star Trek. Yes, yeah. yeah, very much that. Very much that. Yeah. So I heard you say you could taste the pinch of salt at the end. At the bottom? Yeah, mm. yeah. The salt like went, went straight to the bottom, so that last, that last sip. Was that good, bad, indifferent? It was... Nice touch, interesting touch? Yeah, it's interesting. Being as I don't use salt, so, you know, tomato, tomato. Yeah, I tend to cook without very much, so, well, I don't really use salt. I try to use salt alternatives or just seasoning because a lot of food has a lot of salt in it mm -hmm. already, so that salt's just gonna come out. Yeah. Um, the Scorch has added a caption to this cocktail. So the, the caption is, attention all hands. The Cerritos may be California class, but she's the best at what she does, including brunch. Captain Freeman's secret mimosa recipe will make any salty second contact a success, except on planets ruled by megalomaniacal AI or at an alien street food festival. Even then, you can take this Prosecco puppy off its bleeping leash and prepare for a policy of some interference. Warp me. There you are. <laughs> oh, we never... 
We've tried several different cocktails, obviously, so far. I believe this is number five for this season. Well, is this a cocktail? Is a mimosa a cocktail? I think a mimosa is a cocktail. Uh -huh. Computer, what is a cocktail? A cocktail is an intoxicating mixed drink typically made with one or more spirits, as well as other ingredients such as juices, flavored syrup, as tonic water, shrubs, and bitters. Okay. So, yeah, I think it's a cocktail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah because mimosa is made with juices. Sure. So. Yeah. And alcohol. Wait, is champagne alcohol? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you'll definitely become intoxicated <laughs> if you drink bottle. enough champagne. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would have to drink like maybe like four glasses of champagne in order to become intoxicated. I agreed. I think you could do it with two of these cocktails, though. Mm. Yeah, most definitely. What's that? But this is some. This some I would definitely serve at brunch. <laughs> For the chicken and waffles brunch. Yeah, I would definitely serve this at brunch, but. I would not serve it in your regular like champagne glasses. Why is that? I would serve it in like in, in like cups like this because you know you gotta get the whole feel of it, and I don't think that you can like put all this in a champagne glass and you know still get the full effect of it. Agreed. So one thing I was thinking. So as Gallifrey has just dropped the curtain, I'm gonna go ahead and cop to the fact that we are continuing as we have done every week too consume these cocktails out of a Starship NCC-1701D uh, glass, which Gallifrey actually gifted to me last Christmas. These, this whole glass in, uh, decanter set is amazing. It's the, it's the sort of twist glass with the etched iconography and designation on the side of the glass and the bottle. So yeah, it's not a champagne flute. But I do think that maybe if we had used champagne flutes, that it would have layered a little more. Uh, I think yeah, that's what yeah, the maybe. pouring the grenadine over the spoon yeah. was for, yeah, so yeah, that yeah. it would fall gently into the glass, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. thus not just create this sort of single color thing that we yeah. have. Yeah, which is the color is not bad at all. The color is pretty, it's pretty, pretty dope. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Um, the difference between the juices that are in the ingredients and the juices that we're having is I added some dragon fruit and that's probably what colors it. The dragon fruit is also red, like the grenadine. So it made of muddy the, the waters, so to speak. I like muddy waters. <laughs> I do too. Uh, what would I, what, which, which would I, would I rank this out of all the cocktails? Oh, sure, yes. I'll put this at number one. Oh, this is number one? Yeah, only because I, because I, I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of brunch. Hey, you know, I'm, I've been thinking about brunch for a while, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a, a brunch, maybe for my birthday, birthday coming up in uh, a couple of months, yeah. so, you know, this would be good to roll out on brunch and see what everybody think about it. Brunch you know? time for the celebration of Sagittarius season. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's the uh, fifth cocktail of the season, and we have... Five more, so we're, Five more. we're halfway Ooh. through. Okay. Um, there's been a whole thread running through this season of Star Trek Lower Decks, where there's been a, a what appears to be what appears to me to be a small craft that's firing upon and destroying other medium-sized craft, like not capital ship size like the USS Enterprise D from Star Trek: The Next Generation, but something more, something smaller, something that does 
you know, uh, second contact mission stuff like that, like the Cerritos is. Okay. So, and during this episode that this cocktail is for. So let me go back a little bit. So the the premise of this is based around the fact that three Betazoid individual women who I thought were ambassadors, but turned out to be sort of like a Betazoid secret army sort of people came aboard the ship. They're like assassins. They came aboard the ship and most of the time, as I kind of would expect Betazoids to do, they spent their time drinking. They came from this planet called Angel One where the women, the, the sort of like the uh, patriarchy has been reversed into a matriarchy. So all the women are in charge and the men walk around wearing like skimpy clothes and sort of kowtowing to the men on the planet. So they're leaving that planet where they were partying and they're going to Ryza, which is like the vacation planet that was featured all through Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, so I think that the fact that they were drinking through this, through that whole episode, and also probably warped, uh, warped in, uh, roped in uh, Carol Freeman to it a little bit, is probably where we're getting the idea of mimosas, because it's sort of like a Sex in the City type thing. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Oh, I just got to the part. So last time, the the first round, I didn't finish the drink, so I didn't ever quite get to the salt. But you taste it at the bottom? Yeah, yeah. it's an interesting after effect. It's, yeah. it's not It's in that, that last sip, uh, you know. Yeah. It's like, um, it's like taking a shot at there, you know. Oh, like a shot of tequila. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's why the salt. That suddenly, okay, that clicks into place. Uh, I'm, in that case, I'm a little surprised there's no lime, but there is lemon, so I guess that makes up for it. No. Yeah, see that. Oh. Yeah, that last sip is pretty heavy because of the salt. Like, I mean, literally, like weight li weight wise, it's a little heavy. Yeah. So five more. Looking forward to it. Sure. Great. Um, so thank you for joining us again this week, Gallifrey, for Captain Carol Freeman's Warp Me Mimosa. Thank you for having me. It's been our pleasure. Uh, we will see you again next week. All right. For the next cocktail presented by the uh, Clear Bar Master. What do they call them? Toastmaster? What do they call people who are really good bartenders or drink crafters? Okay. <laughs> so we'll see you next week for the Scorch 1701's next exciting cocktail. I'll be there. Right. right. Gallifrey said something to me as we were watching this episode that completely blew my mind. What was it you just said? Yeah, Chalenis is Michael Burnham. Why do you say that? Because if you if you look at it, Michael Burnham was insubordinate. Yes. And got banished from her ship. Yes. And Chalen, if you look at Michael Burnham character and you look at Chalen character, uh -huh. Chalen is very nonchalant, like Michael Burnham. Yes. And you know, it's, it's, sim it's very similar to Michael Burnham, uh -huh. so... All they did was recreate Michael Burnham character into Strange New World. Is this Strange New World? This is no, Lower Deck. This is Lower Deck. It's yeah. a Lower Deck. However, there is an episode of Strange New Worlds that you should see because people from Lower uh, Boimler went through a time portal and ended up in Strange uh, New Worlds. Oh, okay. It's really okay, cool. Okay. Should see it. Yeah, it's a it's a very interesting, interesting. If you really like pay attention to like Star Trek, 
You know what I'm saying? You'll pick that up. Uh, I can't believe I picked it up. Uh, I was just like, I was just listening. I was just like, hold on. You got what? I was like, oh, that's Michael Burnham. I can't believe you picked it up either. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about Burnham, yeah. Star Trek is the value of Star Trek comes in that it speaks to different people in different ways. So I find it kind of amazing and impressive that you find a completely different perspective. Like, I that never would have occurred to me that Talyn is Burnham but when you said it I was like yeah that is true <laughs> yeah because the same story just happened to Lynn yeah yeah I guarantee you if if you dissect that 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 episode of Star Trek and you look deep into it and be like ah oh, that is Michael Burnham oh okay got you yeah that's what happened to me yeah when you said it I was like oh that's yeah. that's correct that mm-hmm. is Michael Burnham and then Michael Burma is part Vulcan, Vulcan, right? Well, she was raised by on Vulcans. Vulcan. Yeah, right. so, you know, and so it same, makes sense. same as her. And, and she was... She part was, Vulcan. <laughs> she was basically, yeah. I mean, you might as well be genetically Vulcan if yeah. you were raised on Vulcan yeah. because you've had to construct your entire personality and being around mm-hmm. something that's going to make you be okay to live among Vulcans all the time. Uh-huh. It, did the non, it did the nonchalant attitude and just like the blank face was like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Michael Burnham always yeah. got always got just like this blank face uh, but she's just like she's like serious all the time you know, I'm telling you that you know what I'm she's like what well, damn smile blink you know what I'm saying Captain like, Nera, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying she always just so so serious uh, she's yeah. like, like this is what it is this is what it is. I'm telling you what it is. You need to listen to me because I'm right. Constantly. <laughs> constantly. I don't know but, why people don't believe me. If you her. don't listen if you don't listen to me, this is going to go left. Yeah. And then and it they goes don't left. listen to her and it go left. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they're like, oh, well you was right, you know, and, and then she ended up saving the day. Yeah. And all that comes down to and then she ended up what? Being captain. As she should have been a long yeah. time ago. Because yeah. Michael Agreed. Burnham is that bitch. She is that bitch. Yeah. She's so that bitch. One thing that occurred to me was that the story of Michael Burnham is a story of her journey from lieutenant commander to captain, captaining her yeah. on Starship Discovery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, great story. And I've been thinking about, okay, so we've promoted the Lower Decks crew. Now, classically, we'll say Lower Decks individuals stay Lower Decks. Otherwise, you can't feature them in Lower Decks, right? But... In order to continue a series, which typically we do Star Trek series for seven years, you cannot stay in Ensign for seven years. Yeah. I was in the military. I was specifically in the Navy, which uses the same ranks as Starfleet. And usually, typically, you are an Ensign for four years. We are on season four. So it is, it is exactly the right time for them to have advanced these characters yeah. one rank. If we continue that idea, eventually someone's going to be captain. And I was thinking, is it going to be Mariner? Or is it going to be Boiler? But I would see Mariner as as captain more so than Boiler. But no. you never you never know what's going to happen on Star Trek, so I it might guarantee. end up being Boiler. But I would keep the same thing as having a black captain, you know, all Agreed. because I'm for my yeah. black people, you know what I'm saying? I'm all for my black people, saying. you know what I'm saying? So I will, I will continue, I will continue that because on the show like Star Trek, having black people as the front runner, that's pretty dope. There's a thing and that happened see, to me when I was watching Star Trek as an adolescent, like as I grew up, I was watching Star Trek like the whole time from like 10 till now. I was watching Star Trek. And for the majority of that time, for the 30 years between 10 and 40, it was led by 
no shade, white people, right? So when it came to Michael Burnham being on the show, I was able, I looked at the screen and I was like, she reminds me of my sister. And when I came to that thought, I realized, oh, other people have been having that thought the whole time. Like they've always seen a reflection of themselves in Star Trek. And like, I don't know what drew me to Star Trek, except for the hope and peace and love and all that, you know, like, but seeing now these visceral to my memory and my being connections to me, showing me that like I can be in the future and I can lead the future and like yeah, there course. is hope. It means a lot more to me than it meant over the last 30 years. Of course. It, give, it gives us color people, if we have you, <laughs> it gives us color people hope that we can be at the front and lead. And we exist in the future. Yeah, of course we exist in the future. I mean, black is beautiful, so. Agreed. Know. So the second thing that I've learned today is that apparently we need to have a couple of the cocktails before we do our <laughs> recording. <laughs> because you pay attention to detail. I mean, well, me, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm a very detailed person anyway. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, so I like to call attention to detail. So, do you know, you? yeah. Very okay. detailed person. I'm not going to podcast. I look at <laughs> okay. Very detailed person. You, got, you pay attention. If you, don't pay, if you don't pay attention, you might miss something. This uh, is true. Know. So there was Manhaver, who was under the table. That was a detail. There was the hijab. So that tells me that now people who are Sikh, S-I-K-H, which is that sect of Islam that has the hijab, now they also see themselves in Star Trek. Yeah, the diversity is, is very much there. Agreed. Uh, it know? behooves Star Trek or any like media to, yeah, to, uh, to represent everyone on the planet because they can catch probably at least half of them because half of the people will say, oh, there's me. There's a piece of me. There's something that I recognize. There's my life being reflected right here. So that, then that right there, becomes a part of me. Yeah, but let's get let's get into the diversity of the episode. Okay. <laughs> you had the lady with the hijab in the back. Yeah. You had the two dudes in the table kissing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> correct. Yeah. You know, you had the, the black lady with her clothes off. The white people. True. You know, said the brown people. You know, said you had diversity. You had yes. so many different parts to the episode, uh, and you can see how humanity. You can see how Star Trek is like. You know, said like not just catered to just like one side. We cater to all different nationalities and races and you know. And we so, are everyone. Yeah. So so kudos to Star Trek. Agreed. All right, cool. Well, I just wanted to, you, you said that thing and it blew my mind. So I just wanted to make sure that I highlighted that because, you know, there is, there's always a different perspective to see understand and appreciate and you brought me a perspective that i hadn't expected and i hadn't seen so i just wanted to show some appreciation and share that perspective with everyone so thank you again gallifrey i really appreciate you for that all right see you next week all right well i'll see you now all right I'm Jack from Two Minute Trek. I watch Trek with my dad and then we review it in two minutes. So, if you'd like your podcast to be shorter than a trip on a turbo lift, search up Two Minute Trek wherever you listen to Let's Talk About Treks. Rustling papers, rustling papers.
Welcome back to Let's Talk About Treks. My name is still Jack Dorino. I'm still Andrew Hogan from Unplanned Trek. That is who you are. And uh, I think we've pretty much discussed this entire episode. I thought, look, I thought it was um, quite amazing that how much plot they crammed into the episode. Uh-huh. Because, you know, the B plot with, with Boimler and the security guys, that was yes. really interesting. And that had really not much to do with anything else. It's um, very creatively put together, Lower Decks. They cram a lot into an animated show that, remember, doesn't go for very long each episode. It's true. This does feel like they fit an hour's worth of story into half yeah. an hour. Well, even the little tiny, the Talin uh, it's almost the C plot in her case of, you know, is she going to go back to the Vulcans or is she going to stay in Starfleet? There's not yeah. much screen time, but it's vitally important to the season. Um, it is. So, yeah, this is why this show's just getting better and better. It is. They're doing, there's a lot of growth happening. You know, like we're watching Boimler grow. We're watching Mariner grow. We're watching the relationship of Rutherford and Boimler grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're building things. We're we're getting yeah. Talyn onto the ship and into the crew. I always thought on the Next Generation that it was weird that we didn't have a Vulcan. I mean, we had Data, sure, but that was uh. not a Vulcan. So it's like it's it's good to have a Vel- Vulcan around because that's our classic. Like it's good to have a Vulcan around. It's good to have a Klingon around. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, again, I, I thought that was a you know Next Gen. Vulcans clearly existed and they were they were crew members. Correct. But it was hard for me to ever accept that if you were a Vulcan in Starfleet and you were you're posted to the flagship that you wouldn't end up on the bridge. I feel like maybe it's a meritocracy and I feel like you have to be like the best of the best to get mm, on the Enterprise. Yeah. That's well that's what they said. But maybe they do some sort of I'm probably going too deep, but maybe they do like some sort of affirmative action because otherwise the entire enterprise would be crewed by Vulcans. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're going to get the best of the best, probably also explains why there's no Australians in the show. <laughs> they they so, are their own Starbase 80. My son asked me this one day. We we're watching mm. Star Trek. He goes, Dad, how, how come this, you typical teenager, how come there's no Australians on, in, in like Star Trek? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, um, he said, don't we make it to the future? <laughs> are we just not there? And I'm like, no, mate, I think we make it. I think yeah. what actually happens is we're too bloody lazy and smart to go out in space. Like, space is dangerous. Space is death and destruction and no air and bad guys that want to kill you. We're just back in Australia enjoying the cool stuff about the 24th century, like replicators and transporters and, you know, the fun stuff, not the dangerous bits. You know, there's an issue, though, with accents in the future where like they shift and change apparently because uh, I don't know if you've ever heard a uh, guy, this French guy, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jean-Luc Picard. Jean-Luc Picard, him. <laughs> Talking. <laughs> so there, you we might have seen many, many Australians and just not known it because the accent is not what we're expecting. Maybe we don't know how accents work in the future. <laughs> I mean, this guy, that guy, JLP, uh-huh. you want to talk about, you want to talk about accents. He gave his son an English accent that he'd never met before. Like, how good is that? You know, it's it is it is genetic after all. That was the that was the actual joke I think that they made was that it's it's apparently genetic. Said something like he went to school in London or some crap. It's like that's not how it works. Yeah, God's sake, you know. Actually, one of the really nice things about Picard is that all the actors playing aliens just use their regular Earth accent. Yes, So correct. Evan, Evan Evagora, who plays Elnor, is Australian. 
mm-hmm. and yeah. he just talked like that because yes. why wouldn't a Romulan sound? Why would a, why would you do an American accent to play a Romulan? Correct. And, and you know, um, Alda Brady um, as as Laris, absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic, and using her normal Irish accent. And I've seen her in lots of other stuff where mm-hmm. she's used an American or an English accent. She does, yeah, she does as well. Yeah, quite a lot. Uh, Doctor Who, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, I thought that was one of the good choices about Picard. Uh, the two characters, Nerissa and her brother, who just hated on each other for the yes. whole series. They just basically sounded well, like hated, the Gallagher. They really... Oh, they were cranky. I they sounded like. I feel like they maybe were like... they were doing it a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, so did I. Yeah, yeah, I know that. <laughs> that was plainly implied. But they were basically just like the Gallagher brothers from Oasis. Yes. <laughs> Constantly bickering in an English accent. There was only one Australian actor uh-huh. guested on Star Trek that I, uh, as a you know, Starfleet officer, and it was Wendy Hughes played the uh, music, the piano playing officer that Picard falls for. Oh, yeah, she's great. But did she, she did not use an Australian accent. Correct. However. She did not. She did not. And I've always wanted, and she sadly passed away now, but she, um, oh. I always, I always wondered. Oh, about I would have whether- loved to have seen her come back. Yeah, I know. I would have loved to have asked her the question because I wonder about the fact that a large amount of her work was at the time that she guessed it on Next Gen was on American television. Mm -hmm. She was on a lot of American miniseries and things like that. And maybe the the casting was like, well, we don't want you to sound totally different if people know you from something else. Oh, I would have liked to see uh, her with an Australian accent. That would have yeah. been. That would have. I mean, her her character was like gorgeous, interesting, and like mm. well done anyway. But like they could have added that little bit of something also. You know, like yeah. it's it, it's wild that they. Uh, I'm trying to avoid using the term whitewash, but it's it's unfortunate that they mm, sterilize. to make things fit in a box when they don't fit it's like i would prefer a true representation of reality i mean i guess it's fantasy i mean one of the things i used to always go on about is a um battlestar galactica almost everybody's american when a hell of a lot of the actors on that show weren't american when i first heard jamie bamber's jamie bamber i was like wait what it blew my mind i I started watching um law and order uk oh yes and i was like whoa he was doing an accent the whole he's really good he has a really good american accent i never would have known no i wouldn't have picked it well i actually asked it with james olmos about that about how 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 come james callus got to keep wow. his english accent but jamie bamba didn't good and he point. actually told us a story about how they were very concerned that mm. that apollo didn't look like his son and so they did a whole lot of things like for example the eyes. um the eyes yeah, yeah one of them wore contact lenses yeah like, edward james think, almost wore purple contact yes, lenses and it was wore, awful and i never understood why they were doing it if he wasn't a cylon they were purple like what are you doing it, it was part of the whole they felt it made him look more like jp bamba gotcha. jamie bamba had to dye his hair as well there was a whole lot of stuff they did wait is he naturally blonde oh, he's naturally a different color hair okay to what he okay. was in bsg yeah. that's all i know okay um, this is just according to Almost, who, of course, you know, is the man. He's the, yeah. the main man, Adam. Correct. But again, why did James Callis was the only person who had a British accent? Oh, because, you know, in, in at least in 80s sci-fi television, the one with the British accent was always evil. 
Oh, they're evil. Of course they were. <laughs> Even right. John Kalikos, who played the original Baltar, well, he was he was he was Guy's Baltar in the original Battlestar Galactica, and he didn't sound like the rest of them. I know that. Yeah. But you're right. It's the evil, you know, the mm-hmm. Bond villain thing. That's it. Yes, absolutely. Give him an English accent. Okay. Yep. Well, that makes more sense. You there you go. Yeah. I guess if uh, Apollo had had an English accent, it might have been like. I mean, it would have. It. I don't know. It, it 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 might have been it might have made them. It's interesting that they that they sanitized that because they could have kept it and it would have been fine. They grew up in different places. Like Adama yeah, totally. grew up on a whole different planet. Mm, like I know. that would have that would have increased the idea of the difference between them from like who they were as an individual because because Apollo grew. Welcome to let's talk about tracks where we are now talking about <laughs> Battlestar Galactic. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah, very intensely oh, yeah. That's, because that's, that's, that's what I'm here for, mate. Yeah, I'm unplanned. Remember. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I just think, yeah, it, it, I think it would have it deepened the 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 different the gulf between them, you know, if there had been that one, you know, hmm. or, or other like cosmetic differences because the man has a mother. We don't know what yeah. she looks like. She could look markedly different, and that way, he could have hmm. any set of the, you know, genome that's available on Caprica. <laughs> it, yeah, it was a, it was certainly a funny one. But uh, so what we need, what we can take from this though, because there are learnings yeah. everywhere. Yes, we can right. take from this that if the Cerritos ever does, for, uh, does say second contact with an unknown alien spaceship, and yes. someone on it has a British accent, yes. they should get out of there. They <laughs> have to leave like, right away. Clearly, as soon as they start go talking, you know, if the Universal yes. Translator has decided to translate that person into being British, it is time to leave. Well, that's another look you've gone down a rabbit hole now here jack man but um I, I i am nothing if not happy to jump into rabbit holes i mean my cats aren't but you know i will no, clearly uh, how does the universal translator decide what accent to give the person you're talking to you know it's a learning system right so whatever it's experienced previously that's what it continues to use moving forward so like shinzon right oh yeah he was a point on the you know the data that it was that it gathered right so that accent was apparently evil right oh when you have like well yeah the e- evil romulans evil the borg <laughs> we are the borg that's that's a translation by the way i just want you to know oh. that that's the computer translating from zeros and ones into this multi-layered voice oh of course okay but it's just what if what if the universal translator just decided to um i don't know you know get all the klingons to sound like this yeah. G'day. I'm a Klingon, mate. This is yeah. good. And then every Klingon forever will sound like that. Hey, I'm going to hurt you with my Mechalath. Yes, I'd hurt or, or, you know, South African or something like that. I'm going to stab you with my stick. Honor, honor, know? honor. Oh, yeah, that would have been yeah. a bad one for them to use in particular, considering the original series Klingons. But I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. How does it sort of decide? I don't know. That's just an interesting thing. Yeah. I understand how it translates the language. But yes. it also has to make you hear something. I'm, I'm putting a pin in that in my head, and I'm going to oh, continue good. to gather more information. And well, I'm, if anybody can work find, it out, you can. I'm going to find some some things to explain this, evidence to provide around it. Mm. I rather enjoyed this episode. I thought it was a really good episode. I think that it was well put together. It had a funny storyline. It was. Oh. It had a lot of stuff in there. Like it was. There was a very like densely packed I'm sort of just repeating things I've already said 
all <laughs> to say that you know if I were going to rate this episode, I would give it maybe like a nine point zero five, and let's Ooh. say say Sinestro right came down to Australia and put Bro, you I in a glowing yellow orb and lifted you off the ground like maybe like 200 feet in the air and said i'm gonna drop you unless you rate this episode of star trek lower decks what number would you say well first i'd say sinestro put me down you wanker all right i'm sick of i'm sick of your bloody coming up and turning up and doing stupid stuff you idiot with your british accent with your mark strong (laughs) british accent Yeah, I mean, he's Mark Strong is one of the best bad guys in movies because he just sounds like a bad guy. Yeah. Look, I'm really generous with 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 the modern Star Treks now because uh-huh. I just think they they I enjoy them so much and they try so hard and and they hit the mark so often that I'm happily giving this ten out of ten. Oh, ten out of ten! That's a ten out of ten. I don't know if we've had a ten out of ten this season so far. My logic, mate, is that if I sit down and spend half an hour watching this. And I come out, and at the end of it, I go, oh, I enjoyed that. Then mm-hmm. that's it. That's all a television show has to do. It just yeah. has to entertain you. And then Lower Decks is the definition of very entertaining. Now, it is very. I briefly mentioned earlier that um, we have a new segment on our show, Late Night Shins On, where Shins On uh, interviews people on his little late night talk show. Yeah. It's a bit of a. He doesn't have his own show yet. He has to, he has to piggyback onto ours. Okay. Um, our, our Shinzons, um, he's he's just popped in and he wants to say a quick hello. Oh, there he is. G'day, g'day, it's Shinzon here. Oh, What's your Shinzon. Name? I, my yeah, name Shinzon. is Jack Dorino. Jack Dorino? Oh, yeah, yeah. what do you do? Yeah, do you I, do? I, I host a podcast. Nah, I'm king, of the, I'm king of the Romulans, it's great. Your job sounds crap. My job's awesome, I get to kill people and shit. How you many Romulans are in your kingdom? I don't know, a lot less than there was when I started because I keep killing them. Didn't you? Yeah, your son blew up, didn't it? No, oh, that, that, that was a rumour. Yeah. Oh. No, okay. That's fine. That's fine. Anyway, I'm going now. You're boring. Bye. All right, Shinzon. Here he goes. Take it he's easy. Off. Yeah. How is that? Yeah. He's, he was, he was oh. fun. It's yeah, very pleasant. Yeah. Hmm. yeah now, you would recall he was in a movie, a Star Trek movie. Um, I think it was Venom. Was it Star Trek Venom? Yeah, Star Trek, Star Trek Venom or um, Star Trek The Dark, Star Trek Rises. Yeah. But I have a wonderful true story about okay. Tom Hardy's true decision story. on what accent he would use as Bane in The Dark Knight Rises because it's very peculiar. Wait, was he Bane? Here, yes, absolutely. Wait, how did I miss he, that? He, he beat up on Batman. Oh, I'm going to go have to... That was Tom Hart. Okay. All right, He's thank coming you back. Yeah, I bloody oh, beat up on Batman, didn't I, you uh, stupid wanker? Go away. Go away, yeah. on. So, anyway, um, there is a video online somewhere, it's uh-huh. probably YouTube, where it's Tom Hardy and Patrick Stewart doing a table mm. read of the scene where they meet for dinner on uh, Shinzon's ship. Okay. And Tom Hardy is playing around with various accents. Because obviously he's a clone of Patrick Stewart. Correct. And one of one of the voices he comes up with is the Bane voice, like from The Dark Knight Rises. But wow. he dis- they discard it. Eventually, basically, the directors of the Stuart Baird, the director, eventually decided, look, just talk in your normal voice. It's, <sighs> it's not going to it's not going to work. But he held that little voice in his brain for over fifteen years wow. before breaking breaking it out for don't stand on ceremony mr wayne and that is a very interesting story thank you for that yeah that's yeah, pretty that, wild that, that's okay yeah as, as you can see the shins on we have on our show slightly different sounding chap yeah he's, he's, he's seems lived, a little angrier he's lived a he look he's lived a life and he seems a little smaller 
Yeah, it's been it's an like, absolute pleasure to be on like your coming. show, Mike. Oh, I'm I'm glad that you came. It's been a pleasure to have you here. I can't imagine a, a better way to spend a couple hours on a Sunday night, to be honest. Well, look, when, it, whenever we record on the live stream uh, mm. with the ShuttlePod show, guys, it's yeah. always four thirty in the morning our time. Oh, this is true. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's 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 about half past twelve in the afternoon here, and I'm loving it. Yes, I'm glad that we were able to work out a time that would be amenable to mm. both of us. Hmm, absolutely. It's been a whole bunch of fun having you here. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I also thank you on behalf of Earl, who I'm sure if he, if he, you know, I'm sure he'll tell you thanks in his own time as well. Well, you, you tell Earl, I can't, I can't wait till he's back. Why don't you tell us one more time where people can find you on the worldwide internet? Mm. So, Unplanned Trick is available on... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Acast, or really anywhere that you get your podcasts. Mm -hmm. I used to host a show, a podcast for ABC Radio in Australia called Nerdzilla, which yes. ran for 11, 11 years, mm -hmm. of which I discovered recently, if you go onto the Apple Podcast Store, uh -huh. part yeah. of iTunes, there is one year's worth of episodes of Nerdzilla Ooh. still floating around there. Uh, I don't know why. Well, you can, but they're they're there, and I don't. They're, they're midway through our run, but awesome. you know they're probably at the point where we were pulling in some pretty big guests. Uh, but yes, unplanned unplanned trick is our new show, okay. part, uh -huh. part of the ShuttlePod Show stable. Hopefully soon we'll be we'll be streaming it on YouTube. Awesome, thank you for that. The next episode of Star Trek Lower Decks is called Parth Ferengi's Heart Place. I hear tell that that might be reference to Star Wars in some way. Somebody, like Marth, somebody's place or something. I couldn't find a descriptor of line that gives an idea of what the synopsis for the episode is, but I'm betting that there might be something to do with Ferengis. I'm fairly, fairly sure you're on the right track there, mate. I Thank mean, you. You are, you're, your attention to detail, you know, you're a details man. I think they also go somewhere. Oh, they go somewhere? Yes. Jeez, this yes. is, I don't know how I'm going to wait. Thankfully, it'll be out tomorrow at the release of this episode. Here's one of the cats. Hello, cat. Find a, find a rat. Uh, that, that one's too small. Oh, okay. So I think that Earl Grey would appreciate it if I said something to the effect of stay positive, dream big. And you'll hear from us again soon. Live long and prosper. Support the continued making of this show through Patreon.com. Let's Talk About Treks is a production of Anodyne Relay supported by the Star Trek fan community of listeners like you. We review the copyrighted works of Paramount CBS's Star Trek team, of whom no copyright infringement is intended. You can reach us via email at email at letstalkabouttreks.com. You can leave us a message at area code 202-804-6312. Our producer is David Moody, and our writers, Jack and Earl, are on Twitter as at Trekstalkers, and would greatly appreciate the obligatory like and subscribe from wherever you're listening now. We record on Lenovo computers with Zoom, mix with NCH Mixpad, and master with Kakos Reaper. Our intro, outro, and interstitial musics feature samples from Awakening by Waterboy from Pixabay. Welcome back to welcome back. <laughs> welcome back. Welcome Mozart. Yeah. These things are hard to play. <laughs>